Well, this evening we now come to the conclusion of our series in Colossians. It's been a great, uh, great to study this wonderful, this wonderful letter of Paul's. It's had many, many wonderful gems as we've moved through it, uh, Sunday by Sunday, and uh, if we've had a closer look in our life groups during the week, uh, you'll have gained even more. But let me uh, pray before we begin. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will use your word to touch our hearts and our minds this evening. We pray that we may be open to what you want to teach us, for the things that you want to challenge us with. So, Father, we pray that we'll um, be diligent in our uh, attention this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, from a young age, we've been encouraged to look after our bodies. To enjoy good health, we need to eat wisely and to exercise regularly and to develop good sleep habits. Isn't that right, Michael? Yeah, good. (laughs) Sorry, it's a bit of an (laughs) in-joke. But we all know the benefits of being fit and healthy. And yet when it comes to exercise and eating food that is, that is good for us, most of us struggle with maintaining a consistent exercise regime and avoiding the temptations of foods that just don't do us any favours. And I must say, that's getting harder as one gets older. Keeping fit and healthy is jolly hard work and it requires discipline and self-control. It's the same when it come, we come to improving ourselves intellectually. For example, when we embark on a program of study to improve our career prospects, we actually have to spend a lot of hours in reading and studying our subject area. Don't we, Tim? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yet here again, most students struggle to invest the time and the effort are required to complete assignments and pass exams. It's hard work. But research has shown that like physical exercise, we need to exercise our brains to keep mentally well and fit. And just like physical exercise, mental exercise requires discipline and self-control. So when we come to our spiritual well-being, we encounter the same kind of struggles. I just noticed in in Southern Cross in the September issue, one of the major articles in there was Sunday called Sunday Wars, the weekly battle for devotion. Well worth a read. I mentioned it in the second service this morning and all of them went except for that one. So if you want to copy, grab it. Now when it comes to our spiritual well-being, we know that to grow spiritually we need to read our Bibles regularly and daily is best to do that. And even better to study and meditate on what we read. We also know that we need to pray intentionally, and as Paul says, continually. We also need we know we need to know. Sorry, we also know we need to fellowship with our fellow believers. And we do that each Sunday and through the week in life groups. And all these things together help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. 
We know the benefits of a close walk with God. So the question that I want to put to you tonight is, why is it so hard to pray and to read our Bibles and to meet with one another? Well, I believe the answer to this question involves our perspective and our motivation. In order to grow spiritually, we need to have that right perspective when it comes to God. Above all else, we need to focus on who and what Jesus is. And that should be our starting point. So where Paul starts in Colossians, he begins with the foundation of our faith, Jesus. And he writes this about Jesus. It says in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the Son and he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, the church, uh, and so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He goes on. You'll find similar passages. I came across Isaiah 40 only the other day, which reminds us of just how great and awesome our God is. Psalm 8, other passages like that. But who we're talking about here is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He is our creator, our saviour and our Lord. And above all else, we should have our eyes focused upon him as he is now, risen, ascended and exalted. And he's seated now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. You see, a lot of people leave Jesus on the cross. The cross is important, no doubt about it. But the cross points us to where Jesus is today and that's where our focus should be on our risen and exalted Lord in heaven. And we need to see that, that big picture to get things in the right focus and perspective and to have that perspective on that what are the realities of life here on earth and in heaven. And if we do that, our perspective on life here totally changes. It totally changes. If we see Jesus as he is now, we can't help but be reminded of what he has done for us, that he has died for our sins, that through his death we are reconciled with God, that we are now welcomed into the very presence of God and that we are freed from the burden of guilt and shame and any fear of God's condemnation. So with this in mind, Paul tells the Colossians not to become tied down by human rules and regulations as a way of becoming closer to God. Don't be distracted, he says. And we read in uh, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's our foundation. Here's our focus. But Paul urges his readers to be grateful to God, thankful to God for what he has done for them and to live their lives in a way that pleases God. And so in chapter 3, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks, <clears throat> he specifically 
tells us what attitudes and practices please God and which ones honour God, which ones which glorify God and also which ones are best avoided. And he does this in the context of the relationships we have with people in our families, in our church community and in the wider community. So I've looked at all those things over the past couple of weeks so I don't want to spend any more time on that tonight. Suffice to say, our lives are meant to be a witness and example for other people. And, you know, this is of great importance because our perspective has changed and we realise that there are big, life-changing, life-challenging issues at stake because this life here on earth is not all there is. And so for Paul, wherever he found himself, whether he was free or whether he's in chains and prison from where he was writing this letter to the Colossians, we find that Paul's passion and his mission in life was to see people come to have new life in Jesus. And so we move on to uh, chapter 4. In this closing section of the letter, Paul encourages his readers to share this mission to give the message of new life in Christ to everyone we encounter and not to squander any opportunity that we have to do this. And so in a few short sentences in verses 2 to 6, Paul provides us with guidelines for achieving the advancement of the gospel. And Paul, God bless him, he doesn't leave us with broad motherhood statements, but instead he is mindful to give us practical suggestions for sharing our faith with others and how we may continue to live and grow and mature as enduring disciples of Jesus. So the first thing, he says to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In other words, before we do anything, pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now the Greek word here simply means to apply yourself to praying continually. In other words, there's a need to commit ourselves to praying intentionally and regularly. And this simply means... We get to talk to God lots. We talk to God lots. Run your life, your thoughts, your plans, your hopes, your dreams regularly before God throughout the day. Unfortunately, too many of us pray only occasionally when we feel like it or when there's a crisis in our lives. And we avoid prayer because we often think of it as a bit of a chore. And it requires some self-discipline. And yet Paul says pray continually or devote yourselves to prayer as God's command to us. It's a command, it's not a suggestion. But it doesn't mean that we kind of walk around with our heads down all day mumbling little prayers under ourselves like this and just... It's a bit weird. Rather, what it does mean is is that we should be constantly in fellowship with God so that prayer is as normal to us as breathing. Richard Foster, in his book, it's a great read, this Celebration of Discipline. In the section on prayer, he makes these comments. There's the discipline of prayer itself. That he says it's a discipline of prayer. Prayer itself that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. 
To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. And the closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need see our need, and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves. And progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. Great stuff, isn't it? But Paul also says that when we pray, we need to be watchful. This means to stand guard, to be alert and to be awake. We need to be aware of Satan's temptations and the things that distract us from spending quality time in prayer. We need to be conscientious and disciplined in our approach to prayer and be on guard and watchful for things that will prevent us from praying. And finally, Paul says we need to thank God for what he's done for us and continues to do for us. Thanksgiving, which is a... Uh, a theme that runs all the way through the book of Colossians, it's an important component of prayer because when we're thankful, it actually changes our perspective. It helps us to remember and appreciate what we have and how God has blessed us. And being thankful will affect our attitude and helps us to be content and at peace with what God has blessed us with. There's quite a dynamic here in being thankful and appreciated for the blessings that God has uh, bestowed upon us. But coupled with this is developing a sense of urgency in our prayers. You see, our whole attitude to sharing the message of new life in Jesus changes when we realise that Jesus could return at any time. He could come tonight. Did you realise that? And if we believe that Jesus, however, if we believe that Jesus' return is is like way in the future and that there's no real hurry to tell people the good news. In other words, we kind of assume it'll happen in good time. There's the real danger then of becoming complacent about sharing the good news with the result that it just doesn't happen at all. Paul also says that we need to act wisely in the way... We respond to other people. You see, people often judge Christian believers with their eyes before, before they start listening with their ears to our message. People notice our behaviour and our attitudes towards others. Christians are often labelled as hypocrites and perceived to be narrow and boring. I don't think that applies to them around here, but you understand what I'm saying, hopefully. But when people see us that way, they immediately, it immediately puts up barriers and certainly impedes any sharing of our faith. So we're encouraged to act wisely, to take care to make a good impression, connect with people. We can go around our tree. Connect with people, respect them. Respect their views, their opinions. Take a real, genuine interest in them. Listen to what they have to say. Make that connection with them. And then step it up to care for them and care about them. Build relationships and generate 
trust and loyalty in friendships and above all, live your life as an example to others of godly living. As Paul said in uh, chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, tolerant and forgiving. And once you get to that point, we then have the opportunity to communicate what is important to us. Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, salt here is used to improve the flavour of food. And the salt Paul is referring to is the spirit of the gospel. You see, if you love somebody, you don't want sharing that fact with the world, telling people about it. And you want to know, you want people to, to know what how you feel about the person you love. And that that person may be a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a wife or a husband. It may be your children or your grandchildren. And we are very free with talking about those we love. But if we feel that way about those we love, then shouldn't we feel the same way about Jesus and salt our conversation accordingly? Paul encourages his readers also to be prepared to give an answer to people who ask about what you believe. Now, that can be rather daunting uh, for a lot of people, but that fear of not knowing what to say can be easily overcome if you have clearly in your mind a simple gospel outline. And you can use that simple outline to share your faith with somebody else. It can take a little bit of work. Sometimes it's a matter of writing it down. But the exercise certainly builds one's confidence in being able to give a reasoned, thought-through answer to someone who asks. And Stuart, Michael, myself, would be very only too happy to um, give you some clues about how to start and how to process that. But it's a helpful thing just to have in the back of your mind so that if somebody asks, what do you believe? Why do you go to church? What's this Jesus all about? Um, and I guess I should say there, if you have questions like that, put it on your Care and Connect card and uh, we're only too happy to respond through the uh, the bulletin or um, questions at the end of the sermons. Don't hesitate to ask. Now, the closing, <clears throat> the closing verses of Colossians find Paul sending greetings to many of his fellow workers. Now, there's a sermon on each one of those. I did a bit of research on some of them and I thought, no, but <laughs> it's either all or nothing. Um, but the important thing to appreciate here is that Paul is not a one-man band. There were literally hundreds of people involved, actively involved in spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean region in the Roman Empire. And they were hard at work establishing churches and building churches throughout the whole region. These people had different gifts and talents. Some were gifted evangelists and preachers, some were teachers, some were great prayer warriors. Some opened their homes for church meetings and some provided food and shelter to the travelling preachers. They all worked together to further the spread of the gospel and as a result the church grew and thrived. But no matter who these people were, Paul encouraged them to pray earnestly, to act and speak wisely with grace and love and to make the most of every opportunity to share their faith. That's it in a nutshell. 
But one of these people stood out to me as I studied the passage. And that was Epaphras. And I just want to spend a little bit of time looking at Epaphras. He's worth it. Epaphras had been led to Christ through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he had returned home to Colossae to share the good news of salvation. And it's also possible that Epaphras also founded the churches in Laodicea and Heropolis, which are villages close by to Colossae. But one of the characteristics of Epaphras was his prayer life. Notice Paul says he was always wrestling in prayer for his fellow believers. He wrestled in prayer. What's that mean? I think it was a good exa- he was a good example of Paul's instruction in uh, verse 2 of chapter 4 to devote yourselves to prayer or to pray continually. Epaphras did not only pray when he felt like it, nor did he pray when he was told to pray or was when he was with other people. He wrestled in prayer. That's, that's the concept of striving and uh, going hard at it. Other versions say he prayed fer- prayed fervently. And the word here means to agonise or to struggle. And you get the sense of it was hard work. And prayer was serious business for Epaphras. The Greek word was also used to describe how athletes applied themselves to training for the various sporting disciplines. You know, it's helpful to note also that Epaphras prayed personally and specifically for those he was concerned about. He did not pray around the world in general terms. His desire was for his fellow believers in Colossae, Laodicea and Heropolis. And he prayed that they would stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He wanted his friends to grow spiritually, to become mature in their faith. And he was concerned that they stood firm in their faith, not distracted by the world's ways and its practices. He wanted them to stay fully focused on Jesus, the ascended, risen Lord Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God. That's where he wanted their focus to be. So Epaphras wrestled in prayer for those he was concerned about. God, by the name of Dick Eastman, wrote these words that I came across. He said, Prayer is the highest order of business, for it links a powerless human to the creative force of God's sovereign power. When people cease to pray, he says, no matter the reasons, Christians backslide, youth rebel, preachers leave pulpits, mission fields close and denominations die. Prayer demands our best. God is not pleased with a few moments at the end of a clo- at, the, at the close of a weary day when strength is at its lowest ebb. He longs for our very best. You know, in order to grow spiritually, become mature apprentices of Jesus, we need to develop this habit of prayer. It is a habit. It's something you do uh, without thinking about it. Well, you've got to think about what you pray, but it just becomes a habit. It becomes a part of your day. It firstly means we have to find the right time to pray. For some people, that might be the first thing in the morning. That's when I'm most alert. Get up early and the house is quiet. For others, 
Morning's a struggle. And so the last thing at night is the best time. It doesn't matter when you pray. The important thing is that we do set aside some time each day to pray. Some of us need help in developing that prayer habit. Prayer is something we can do throughout the day, yes, but it's also something we need to set aside time each day to pray specifically and intentionally, allowing and give God some time to speak to you. Sometimes we rattle off our prayers and say, Amen, thanks very much God, and we're off. Wait upon the Lord. See what he has to say. You might be surprised. If you're unsure about what to pray, then it's often helpful to read some of the prayers we find in, in the Bible. We heard um, the Lord's Prayer read to us earlier on. And there are other prayers right through the Bible. Or look at the Psalms and pray through the Psalms. They're wonderful uh, guides to praying and bringing things before God. Sometimes it's helpful to have a list of things to pray for and, and some people find it helpful to write down their prayers. And that's called journaling. If you find your mind wandering when you pray, sometimes it's helpful to actually write down. This focuses things. It may be helpful to divide your prayer time into sections or periods. first period could be given over to prayer and adoration of God. It says in Psalm 100 that the way to enter the gates of heaven is, through thanks, is with thanksgiving and praise. Thank God for all he's done for you. It's incredible when you think about it. And that's that recurrent theme through Colossians. Read through Colossians again and pick up those clues about how to be thankful to God and what to say thank you God for. And if there is anything you need to confess before God, this is the time to do it. And then next, pray for the needs for the, of those close to you. Pray for family members, our church, and those that serve in the church. Pray for people you know and pray for them by name, and as Epaphras certainly did. Be specific. Use your 316441 cards. They're an incredible help here. And then pray for any specific needs you may have and for which you're seeking God's direction. And the last section could be spent praying for the wider world. Pray for our government leaders. Hey, we... We spend so much time knocking them, criticising them, and uh, the media is always trying to undermine what they're doing. But how often do you actually sit down and pray for the Prime Minister, for our Premier, for our local representatives? It's jolly hard work in government. You're under so much um, scrutiny. It would be a horrible job. And they need our prayers to help them do the work that they've been elected to do and to make wise decisions on our behalf. We need to support them, and we can do that through our prayers. Pray for any countries you have a particular heart for. Pray for our link missionaries, Howard and Michelle and their kids in the Philippines. Pray for International Justice Mission and for work they do with um, people suffering incredible injustice and uh, uh, human slavery and all that stuff. Pray for those guys. They need our support through prayer. They really, really appreciate it. Pray for compassion and what the work they do with the children living in poverty. Pray for kids you've sponsored or your family sponsored. The list could go on and on and on. But this is where a prayer diary or a prayer list comes in handy. 
I remember meeting a dear old lady who was well advanced, she was probably nearly 90, when I came across her. And she was such an inspiration in prayer. She had, she had a prayer diary, a prayer list. And she'd pray all through the day, morning, noon and night. And she was just an incredible prayer warrior. And I was talking to her one day. She says, I sit there in my chair and I pray for people on my list. And she says, and sometimes I fall asleep as I'm praying. But then after a while I wake up again and I just keep praying from where I left off. And I thought, oh, wow, that was just <laughs> really incredible. I visited her in hospital just before she passed away. And I, at the end of the, the time with her, I asked if I could pray for her. And she said, oh, certainly. So I prayed for her. And then as I went to go, she said, can I pray for you? And I tell you what, her prayer, I just was walking on air when I worked that hospital ward. Uh, she was just had a walk so close to God, you could just feel it in the air when she spoke. It'd be great if we could all develop that sense of um, praying, or that habit of praying and closeness with God. You know, in our church today, I think we'll only, I don't think I know, we will only experience real significant growth in our congregation if we take Paul's guidelines seriously here. May we never become complacent and satisfied and comfortable with who we are and what we have. We have great facilities, it's a great congregation, it's been fantastic, wonderful people in this church. But may we too, like Paul and Epaphras, have an urgent desire, indeed a passion, to see people come into a living, personal relationship with Jesus, praying constantly, fervently, and expectantly. The road to becoming physically and mentally fit is not an easy one. It requires discipline and hard work. So too becoming an enduring, spiritually mature follower of Jesus. That too requires discipline and hard work. It's not an easy road. And there are many temptations and pitfalls along the way. But rest assured, the benefits and consequences of a life of devoted, committed prayer and a love of God's word have eternal rewards. I'm going to stop there. Might be time to say a prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you for these words, these instructions uh, that Paul has given to us. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit who brings this word alive for us. And so we pray, Lord, that we may have a heart like Paul and Epaphras who loved you dearly and who spent so much of their time in prayer praying for others. Give us that heart, Lord, a heart to see people come to know you. Help us not to be slack, but to develop a discipline, a life of prayer. Help us to make it a habit in our lives. And we ask this through your Son, our Saviour, and through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In his name, Amen. And can I just add at the end, we have a prayer and praise night on Wednesday night. Great time to come and pray together uh, with your fellow believers here. And we have a whole range of things that you can pray for and that, that too is also helpful for our prayers. Uh, yes, um, 
questions. Caro's got one. Thanks, Caro. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. That was really helpful. Um, I think, as you said, that prayer is something that you learn to do and you practice and you probably get better at it throughout your life. Um, I think for myself and maybe others, I don't know that we wrestle in prayer. Mm. And so is that a – how do we get to that point? Is it a state of understanding God better and knowing his heart or is it that we're lazy and we don't have enough time to pray or like – do you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know that I get to that point very often. Not that it's something we have to be doing all the time, but is it a heart thing or what, what do we do? Should we be praying more or – uh, yeah. Um, look, some people have a gift of what you might call prayer. Some people are what we might term prayer warriors. It just comes so naturally to them. And they're able to spend lots of time praying. Um, for a lot of us, that's a struggle to spend that amount of time. But I think we're looking at um, an ideal to aim for. I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's a good thing that we're aiming to be able to wrestle in prayer, and to have that heartfelt desire uh, to to struggle and to wrestle and to work things through with God on behalf of those people we're praying for. Uh, it's. Um, I spun through a few uh, biographies and autobiographies of people who were great prayer warriors in the past century or so, and they're awesome. It's an awesome read. And just to see how prayers have actually changed history in some some respects, I remember reading a book called Reese Howell's Intercessor, as uh, a missionary to to Africa for a while, and this guy just prayed and prayed and prayed, and uh, uh, you know that's an example of that ultimate prayer warrior who wrestles in prayer on behalf of nations, on behalf of people, on behalf of the uh, primitive tribes and all sorts of things. Um, we may not be in that situation, but it's something we shouldn't say, ah, I can't do that. I think it's something that God would like us to aspire to. So if we keep that in mind and, uh, yeah, look, keep reading and just uh, exposing ourselves to people who can model that sort of prayer, I think that's a good thing. And if God calls you to that Level of prayer, fantastic. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure that answered your question fully. But anyone else? Good, I'm getting off. <laughs> I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>